0: Welcome to this Skyride Local podcast made in conjunction with the London Festival of Architecture. Skyride is part of Sky and British Cycling's ambition to encourage one million more people to cycle regularly by 2013. Skyride Local events take place across the country and cater for cyclists of all ages and abilities. They are free to join in and led by British Cycling trained ride leaders who will guide you along the route and provide tips and advice on cycle safety and skills. If you enjoy this podcast, which takes you on a virtual bike ride around some of London's most inspiring architectural features and landscapes, there are five more podcasts in the series and a lot more sky rides coming up throughout the summer. Visit www.goskyride.com for more details. Wren and Hawksmoor Churches with Fergus Connolly of Field & Clegg Bradley Studios. Fergus Connolly is an architect specialising in historic architecture and conservation. This ride visits several churches built in the wake of the Great Fire of London, in particular those of Christopher Wren and Nicholas Hawksmoor. The ride began at Christ Church, Spitalfields, where I asked Fergus to explain a little bit about the history of the time.
1: So, what we're going to be looking at are the churches um, of Wren and Hawksmoor that were built after the Great Fire of London. Uh, that's from 1666 onwards. Uh, so, we're going to be taking a look at those and just seeing how how they ship. The city then, and how they, they continue to shape the city now.
0: I mean, what was London? Was it a decimated place? Was it was it burnt to the ground? I mean, was it was it London in crisis at that time?
1: It, well, it was certainly London razed to the ground. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, you only need to look at the diaries of Peeps, Hook, uh, and Evelyn to, to realise just how decimated the city was. Um, and yes, yeah, certainly uh, there were massive kind of land disputes, and at the same time, um, you know, eminent. Uh, Academians were, were trying to suggest what the new shape of London would be, but everything was moving so quickly uh, as uh, landowners and homeowners and kind of shop owners and were, were trying to scrabble for their land back and trying to define which was their pitch. So, in actual fact, um, quite quickly, London um, was redefined on its original lanes um, before, uh, before, as I say, the the professionals, the, the enlightened of the day, could, could pin down the new, the new plan of London. Yeah,
0: And how come Wren and Hawksmoor got the commission?
1: Got the gig? Yeah, well Wren Ren got it because he'd been a pretty ardent royalist through um, through the dark days for, for Charles I and Charles II. Um, so when uh, Charles came back, Charles II came back to the throne uh, he, he was the guy they looked to. But I mean, beyond the kind of royalist agenda Wren was just a, a monster of his age, his intellect and his understanding of culture, structure, science, philosophy, astronomy, biology, chemistry, physics. You know, he was a true polymath, a true kind of Renaissance man. Um, so he, he was the man for the job. And actually, uh, Hawkesmore got introduced to him later, uh, and he, he was just he was picked up on as um, someone very able to draw, very able in kind of architectural drawing and rendering. So he really came under Wren's wing, but was a real different kettle of fish um, and brought something uh, completely fresh uh, and unique to the English Baroque. This is um St. Lawrence Jewry. Yeah, this uh is a Wren church. I should say that it's um it's kind of quite isolated now, but that's largely due to the the 1940s kind of bombing that um you know really decimated these areas and you know heavily damaged an awful lot of the churches to the extent that this one, uh its interior is is no longer original, nowhere near original. Uh, I think it was kind of done, restored in like the uh, the 1950s, late 50s at that uh, we all kind of came down King Street and saw the, uh, the Eastern Elevation um, and it's actually you know a very very decorative elevation, more so than any of the others and you know actually quite peculiar in that you know they didn't have an awful lot of money for these churches, I'll talk about that in another respect in a moment but what I do love about that elevation is, is it's a, a specific response to the context of the city. King Street um, is part of a processional route, or you know, is historically part of a processional route for, for the old guilds uh, as they kind of come right up King Street, past the church's east elevation, and then meet outside the, the Guildhall complex. Um, so, Wren's elevation is a, a kind of you know, it's rising to that occasion and is you know, ornate for that reason. Uh, I mean, th- there's quite a peculiar motif in the, the hung kind of garlands and fruits um, that we see here for the first time in Wren's work, and that is a response, or like it picks up on that from the stuff you see um, Inigo Jones do at, at the banqueting house at Whitehall, uh, which I'd, I'd thoroughly recommend you go and see as well. Um, St Lawrence, Jewry, uh, jewellery because uh, one of the defining lines on the site uh, was actually the boundary of um, an old Jewish ghetto. And St. Lawrence's motif is the, the gridiron, which you can see on the old weather vane. Uh, it was a martyr that was kind of burnt on a gridiron. I should probably say as well that we, we were going to stop at uh, St. Mary Maryleboar, but it all got a little bit crazy there. Um, so we, we bypassed that. I'd like to say we're not missing much, but we're missing loads. It's awesome. The tower um, was completed in 1680, and that church was seen as probably the second most important church in London after St Paul's Cathedral. No, we're not doing it, there's no time. Um, And, yeah, one of the most interesting things, I suppose, about it is uh, its spire. And this is another really interesting thing about Wren, is that in a lot of his work he he picks up on the the architectural memory of the buildings that were there previously. So in St Mary Marylebor, when you all go and see it, which you've got to do, the steeple kind of has these... um, Flying buttresses, holding up uh, a kind of round colonnade um, and that is actually a memory of the old church, which is called Saint Mary Le Beau because um, it's, its flying buttresses were um, quite esteemed at the time, quite revered and quite a unique feature, um, so yes, yeah, Saint Mary Le Beau he picks up on that motif of of the flying buttresses original in his, uh, in his new uh, in his new design. Um, yeah, I'm kind of quite glad we missed that one out anyway because I think that John Novell building is a dog. Um, I did want to show you something on the corner Let's if walk. that's alright. If we walk it sod the bikes. Right okay yeah just talking about that thing on um, economy and um, you know how how the money wasn't really forthcoming um, until certainly kind of after 1700s, uh, later on in the 1700s. You might, it's quite a subtle thing but on this corner you can just see that the, the building isn't on 90 degrees. It's it's a sharper angle than that. And that's because the building is com- it's completely on the footprint uh, of its of its pre-fire counterpart. Ren did this a lot uh, because it, it just made the buildings a lot cheaper to erect if you kind of went off their existing footprint. So it's just not quite 90 degrees. Um, there's a bit of a feeble water feature out the front here which refers to the fact that, um, historically, this was kind of one of the old tributaries into the Thames, running past the front of this, uh, this church. And during archaeological digs, they found kind of old timber books um, that showed that it was uh, kind of shored up as, as, as early as Roman times. The church on this site, as well is where St Thomas More preached. This is obviously St Paul's Cathedral. We're on Ludgate Hill, which is historically one of the tallest, uh, rather highest points uh, in London, the city of London, which is why there's been a kind of a a religious building on this this site since the kind of well the Holy Roman Empire really. The current dome is 111 metres tall, and until 1962, it was the uh, the t- still, the tallest building in London, which is pretty staggering. As late as the uh, the twelve hundreds, that's when we see what we would call old St Paul's on this site, uh, which was the the Gothic church that was, you know, subject to countless accretions to make it the, you know, the colossus that it was uh, before the Great Fire, and it was it was a whopper. Penrose. Uh, who was one of the the surveyors at St Paul's, did archaeological uh, studies of the site, uh, you know, dug up kind of where it was, and it was a whopper. I mean, he he suggested, or it has been suggested, that the spire of the old St Paul's um, was actually taller than the dome at the minute, uh, which is staggering. That got struck by lightning and burnt down in uh, 1561, and all the kind of Protestants and Catholics who were arguing at the time uh, it kind of fully put the frighteners on it on them. It was like it's a sign from God, uh, so they got really worried about it. Um, by the time of the fire, Old St Paul's was was a bit of a ramshackle actually. It had been a you know a staggering um, you know church city, I suppose, a city of worship. I mean, you know, it, its chapter houses, its outbuildings, you know, acquired a vast part of this site, and um, you know bits of the stonework... Uh, after the kind of dissolution of the monasteries and the decreasing importance of the building, were pinched. Um, bits were just like let out as houses. Henry VIII actually had um, used it as a base for for bookshops, or uh, so a lot of kind of Protestant bookshops to kind of peddle out the the, the propaganda for the for the new faith. Um, I suppose you'd say. Um, right, okay, and then where are we? God, I, you could, I could talk all day, really. Not coherently, but I could. Yeah, so this is St Paul's as we see it today. It was built after the Great Fire, but the old one wasn't knocked down in entirety until four years after the Great Fire because they were still scratching their heads about whether it was worth actually patching up. Luckily, they kind of decided it wasn't, although it did have some interesting, uh, as I say, accretions by Inigo Jones, and it's probably worth a sneaky peek uh, at some point through um, Temple Bar which used to be in Temple because um, the the column in there is, is a kind of one-to-one replica of one of the old Inigo Jones columns of the old St Paul's um, so yeah and then this, this one when they started rebuilding it it wasn't exactly on a perfect east-west axis and again, that taps into Wren's kind of scientific knowledge. He rotated it slightly so that it's on an axis that perfectly aligns with um, the sunrise on Easter day. Uh, and he was able to make that calculation through his astronomical understanding. And when he started thinking about this, this building, the first proposal was actually a Greek cross, um, which is you know, a simple cross, but all the lengths are of, of equal um, size. The clergy weren't, weren't too happy about that, um, one of the big reasons was because uh, they were keen to, to build it in sections so you could kind of consecrate part, get the worshippers in while you're still building the rest of it and the Greek cross, because it's kind of symmetrical, perfectly symmetrical, you'd, you'd have had to have built all of it before you could get anyone in, so that was a bit of a nightmare. Um, so he, he responded with a, a proposal that we know from the, the great model which is a, a massive, absolutely beautiful model, housed up in what's called the trophy room at Triforium level. It was similar to the, to the Greek cross, but it, it kicked down to become more, I suppose, like the traditional, conventional Latin cross. Uh, they didn't like that. They said it was too popish, and Wren had a like a full-on strop then. You know, he kind of decided that, you know, he was going to make no more drawings accessible to the public, no more models for anyone to see because um, he was just thoroughly miffed that everyone thought his, his designs were rubbish. Um, so he, he did a design called the the Warrant, the Warrant design, because it got the, the King's Warranty for construction, and luckily that didn't get built because that was a bit of a dog, to be honest. It had like a bit of a shallow dome and then a spire on top. It was kind of really neither here nor there. So what he did was um, he kind of got the building going, half built it, and then just the top half, the dome and um, the drum, he just kind of shrouded in scaffolding and cordoned it off. And then underneath that, he just kind of built what he wanted, which was, you know, the the magnificent dome we see today. I should say as well that after the warrant design, he got um, kind of the king's approval to what what they kind of decided would be minor cosmetic alterations. And then he just like just did this whopping great you know alteration that when the scaffold came and everyone was like ah what's that but then they loved it apart from Pugin who came later who hated it Portland Stone finished in 1710 probably the masterpiece of English Baroque again Hawkesmore helped him on the west front with the towers that play of light and dark is you know Hawkesmore all over uh, and as well Hook helped him an awful lot, think about the, the structural strategy. Um, and they make real use of the catenary curve, which is neither perfectly round nor pointed Gothic, but kind of somewhere in between. That's structurally one of the strongest. I mean Hook gets brushed under the carpet a little bit, but you know, he, he was a you know, a scientific kind of marvel of, of his age. Not so much based in the mathematical stuff that you see Newton do later on. Uh, but more in just his his ability to experiment and record what he saw and from those experiments. Um, him and Newton didn't get on at all, and he actually he blamed Newton for l- nicking a lot of his ideas on um, gravity um, and all those calculations. Obviously, we know Newton best for them now, but Buck had a hand in it. Um, he did pioneering work on microscopes, telescopes, uh, and he actually coined the word cell for what we see as, like, you know, the biological cell. And he, uh, he took that from, um, you know, his understanding of the monastic cell. Um, so that, that's actually where the word cell comes from. I'm gonna try and talk over the bells. Um, So this is um, St Clement Danes. This is one of Wren's original kind of island churches. This was always planned to be kind of seen in the round. Um, And I mean, in some respects, I've certainly read about it, um, you know, kind of almost being seen to sail down Fleet Street. and that, that's a theme picked up with uh, another church a bit further down can't remember the name um, but yeah this uh, a church on this site was actually established in the 19th uh, sorry the 9th century um, by the Danes hence St Danes uh, and they, they named it after the uh, the patron saint of, uh, of Mariners um, St Clement um, so it, it's a bit peculiar that it, it it's always had kind of um, marine references throughout its life but it's actually the, the official church of the RAF um, so we see a, a monument out the front there that's Bomber Harris um, who actually masterminded uh, an awful lot of the, uh, the bombing raids on Germany um, so for a long long time and probably I suppose still a controversial figure and when the Queen Mother um, like, unveiled the statue There was actually quite a bit of booing and everything because, you know, the bombing was indiscriminate and, you know, civilians um, and soldiers died alike. Um, Also, it's the only one of his um, city churches to have a full-blown apse, um, a rounded apse, which we see on its east front, and an apse is just the kind of, you know, the rounded backside of a church, uh, for for those who, who don't know what that is. The tower uh, is actually a later edition by James Gibbs. So that that's not Wren original. But when it was built, I think Sean pretty much slammed it. Well, later on slammed it, said it was rubbish. Um, so yeah, make of that what you will. Webb Ellis was the rector of this church, aka Rugby World Cup. And what else could I say? If I was gonna talk a bit more about um, of water being the theme of this church, it'd be a good place to pick up on um, Canaletto and what he, you know, kind of made of all these fantastic churches when he came to London. And he was just it was staggered by them, you know. It, it was incomparable with anything else in Europe, really. Um, and so, you know, Canaletto's kind of pictures of of the city just illustrate uh, a skyline punctuated with these extraordinary and varying columns. And I'd, I'd really recommend you to to Google um, Canaletto's work in London, if just to take a look, uh, especially of his, his painting done from Somerset House, which kind of shows them in all the glory, and it's staggering. I mean, one of the interesting things about St Paul's is that it's kind of on those two levels. There's the uh, like the, the lower tier and then the kind of upper, kind of Piano Nobile tier, I suppose. Um, but when he paints it, that, that lower cornice almost strikes a datum alongs, alongside all the other... Kind of buildings in London, so that the cathedral itself almost looks like it's kind of sailing along, um, you know, through the city beside the Thames. It's it's quite a staggering, uh, quite a staggering image. This is another Hawkesmore church, this is uh, St George Bloomsbury, um, and she's another absolute belter. Um, she was built um, as part of the, the 50 new churches, so she's slightly later, and this was, this was actually Hawksmoor's La, last church. There hadn't been a church on the site previously, uh, and the site was actually bought for a thousand quid, I think, which was pretty steep back then and the site wasn't even much cop. Um, so, you know, there has been a bit of head scratching about why they wanted this site. And then, you know, authors like Peter Aykroyd and Ian Sinclair have kind of picked up on this thing about, oh, if, if you join up where all the Hawksmoor churches are, it makes an I, which is a symbol. It's a of tosh. I don't want to go all damn Brown on you, because whatever. But yeah, it's on a pretty awkward site, but he makes outstanding use of it. Um, basically, we're looking at the south elevation, and this is a hexastyle portico, which means it's got six columns uh, in the style of um, the Temple of Bacchus, apparently. But actually, uh, when you go in, the altar is, uh, what rather, was to Hawkesmore design, still on the east, which was a pretty big deal because post-reformation churches really revisited this idea of you know everyone facing east for for worship that was quite a big deal so when Vanbrugh had previously proposed uh, an altar on the north side um, they said that was rubbish he said it was the only way you could do it Hawksmoor said yeah go on then I'll do it that way and then about 30 years after it was complete the parishioners said no actually this is rubbish Uh, so they put the altar back on the north side as it had been kind of proposed the tower uh, is modeled on one of the the seven wonders of the ancient world this is um the the tomb of mausolus uh, at halicarnassus or the mo- the mausoleum subsequently well named after mausolus so that's the kind of stepped ziggurat pyramid we that we we read about um in pliny's descriptions of it and these uh, the tiger and the unicorn had been actually on and then off and then on again on this building. They were on the original, and they're meant to symbolise the, um, the vanquishing of the first Jacobite rebellion. Uh, and then in the 1870s, they were actually taken off, deemed inappropriate ornamentation. Uh, and Tim tells me it was the architect street who did that. So, yeah, and then in 2006, there was a massive restoration programme, and... Um, they were put back on, so they're actually kind of only four, three, four, five years old. Um, what else can I say? Yeah, the, um, I suppose the, the tower was immortalised in a Holgarth drawing of Gin Lane, and you can kind of see it in the background, lying in Unicorn chasing one another there as well. The tower itself, I mean, it's a very kind of sculptural, civic piece, but in actual fact, they're just very pragmatic. They need to be structurally sound because at the top level, just between the um, the kind of temple frontages, we, we see the vents that illustrate that that's the belfry. Um, so the bells are up there. You know, that needs to be really firm because, you know, you'll, you'll have two, three, maybe more tonnes of rocking metal, not like rock and roll. But you know, it's kind of moving in the bell frame. So these things need to be pretty firm. Right, we're going to go to... Um, Our last church now, I bet you're ready for that, Uh, it's St James Piccadilly, Barry is, is off so let's roll. In some respects, we've gone um, back to front because Christchurch Spitalfields was one of the last um, city churches kind of built with Ren Hawkesmore's involvement. And uh, and this is actually one of the first. His his involvement with this church actually precedes the the Great Fire. Uh, And the Great Fire didn't even get this fire. This uh, entire site uh, was bought by the Earl of St Albans, a chap called Henry German. So hence we get German Street round the back, and this in its day was actually just on the outskirts of London. So kind of end, you know, London had finished sprawling here. So I mean it's pretty, you know, I always find it fascinating to kind of just see how the city radiates out and just kind of engulfs itself all the time. Um, but that's an aside. I suppose one of the, the important things to come and look at this church for is the fact that unlike any of the others we've seen, uh, it's. It's brick, it's brick and Portland stone. All the others we've seen have been Portland. St Paul's Cathedral has a little bit of Ketten stone and a little bit of Carrara marble. Um, one or two other bits and bobs, but largely what we've seen is Portland stone. Um, and this illustrates, I suppose, um, a heavy Dutch influence um, that we haven't seen in the other churches either. Um, Wren went to Paris once, but other than that didn't travel... Hawksmoor was the same as kind of you know the, the grand tour kind of wasn't really around until a bit later than this. Um, so they relied uh, an awful lot on books and texts that came in to tell them about you know what was the height of fashion on the continent. Hook again this kind of figure who, you know history hasn't been too kind on him he doesn't really get noticed but he just had a massive library that you know was was very well cataloged and so we know that Hook and certainly Wren and Hawksmoor had exposure to his texts. And we know that a lot of um, Dutch architectural um, textbooks you know, were being referred to, referred to them at the time. Wren actually um, loved this church. He thought it was a brilliant solution to the problem of um, you know, a space for uh, post-Reformation worship. He thought it was cheap to build, it was quick to build. Um, it was structurally uh, very very sound, and if, if there was another interior that i 'd encourage you to go and see it 's this one. Um, the nave of the church just has a, a, a huge vault um, and that sat on smaller vaults that are sat perpendicular to it um, kind of very structurally very successful uh, solution to the problem because then you know on the end of your, your smaller vaults you 've just got a huge big opening for the for the windows as we see. Um, And you can just kind of see the whisper of the, the kind of columns that hold up the smaller vaults through the window, uh, which is lovely. Uh, What else could I say? Um, As a church, it was the 60s and 70s were a pretty quiet time for it. And it, you know, the the congregation wasn't coming and you know, the the Bishop of of London or the Archbishop just kind of said, look, get it sorted out. Um, A new kind of clergy team came in. you know, very progressive, um, very kind of liberal in the thoughts and in in the the sermons, and the church has come on leaps and bounds since then. It's a a really strong place to to come for worship. Uh, Laura Marlin um, has had a gig in here. R.E.M. have played in here. Awesome-ish. I wanted to bring you here as well to finish on this church because there's also a a really important building by Edwin Lutyens um, next to it. Um, which is here. It's an old Midland bank and it's now uh, uh, an art gallery, I think. I uh, certainly have seen, yeah, Hauser and Worth. And Lutchens was probably the, the last kind of architect who, who referenced Wren directly and kind of, you know, owed uh, a deal of gratitude for his architectural style to Wren. And uh, when he spoke about his work, he spoke about it in, um, in, as the Renaissance, Renaissance with a W, see what he did. That's brilliant. Um, I don't think I can say much more about um, them as a a pair I mean yeah just absolute powerhouses of the day and have you know gone to such lengths in in defining London um, you know that this really is the tip of the iceberg and I hope you know it might convince some of you to take a look at some other stuff because there's loads of it out there and it's all amazing
0: We hope you enjoyed this podcast from the London Festival of Architecture Skyrides. For more information about lead group rides in your area, please visit www.goskyride.com.